Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Today we are talking about uh, a member of one of the royal houses of Europe. We get lots of requests to talk about royalty all the time. We do, and there's lots of fascinating stories there. Uh, today's subject was an art patron. He was a lover of science. He spoke many languages. He was also known for having a dark temper and being a little bit unstable. Uh, and his poor decisions are, as a ruler are credited with leading to the Thirty Years' War. Uh, and so we're talking about Rudolf II, who was from Austria, and he ruled the Holy Roman Empire from 1576 to 1612, although that last year, uh, largely figurehead, not really ruling status. Uh, and while he came to be known for his reclusive and gloomy and really melancholic behavior, this Habsburg ruler was also really instrumental in starting an era of scientific exploration and discovery. And his reign is considered uh, by many to be the golden age of Prague. Uh, and today we're mostly focusing on, we'll include the historical events that were happening around him, of course, but most of the focus kind of has to do with just his personal goings on throughout his life, because it's a very fascinating uh, tale. His, as a character, he's a fascinating person. Uh, you can't help but feel a little sad for him at times. I feel like the, we feel sad about lots of the royals. Yeah. That has been something I, we haven't, you and I haven't talked a whole lot about royalty, but that has been a favorite theme among some of the past hosts. And a lot of times they are sad, sad royal stories. Yeah. You almost can't, uh, help but feel sad for them. It's one of those things where it's in many ways a place of great privilege, but there is so much weird baggage that often comes with it that the actual stories behind the portraits are not particularly delightful. No, they are unhappy very often. We can start, of course, at the beginning. Rudolf was born on July 18th, 1552 in Vienna, Austria, and he was the oldest male child of his family. His father was Emperor Maximilian II, and his mother was Maria of Spain. Maria uh, really ended up kind of uh, having a big impression on his life through her beliefs and actions, Uh, not because she was so involved, but because of kind of the things that she catalyzed. She had a total of 16 children, but she was not known to be an especially warm mother. Uh, And despite her marriage to the Austrian ruler, Maximilian II, she always really maintained her Spanish identity, and she pressured her husband to send their children to Spain uh, to study under her brother, Philip II. And she felt strongly that the children really needed a Catholic influence rather than the Protestant ideology that they were largely exposed to in Vienna. Uh, religion is a big part of this whole story and what was going on in the Holy Roman Empire at the time. Rudolf and his brother Ernest traveled to Spain in early 1564. And there, their uncle, Philip II, who was a really somber man compared to their father, sent them on this really rigorous course of study. First, they went to the monastery at Montserrat and then to the summer palace. And they studied fencing, language, dance and rhetoric, among all kinds of other scholarly subjects. And during this time, Philip II, who uh, 
is also a fascinating story, was having problems with his own son, Don Carlos, who was about seven years older than Rudolph. And Rudolph had met him while they were there. Uh, Don Carlos had a hunchback and several other physical deformities. And uh, historians suspect that he likely suffered brain damage during his birth because it was an extremely difficult birth. And his mother only survived a few days after Don Carlos was born. And Don Carlos would experience these fits of rage and madness, and he exhibited extremely impulsive and violent behavior. And that those sort of personality issues only grew worse and worse after he experienced a head injury in the early 1560s. In January of 1568, which was almost four years after Rudolph and his brother had gotten to Spain, Don Carlos was locked away at his father's command, and it became forbidden to ever speak of him. Don Carlos wound up dying six months into his imprisonment. Uh, And just a few months after Don Carlos died, Philip's third wife, uh, who was Elizabeth of Valois, died after having a miscarriage. And as you can imagine, these two events happening close together uh, caused the Spanish court, where Rudolph and Ernest were still living and studying, to become even more somber than ever. It had always been sort of a serious place, but it it really had, there was a gloom over the the whole thing. And it would still be two more years that they would be there before they could return home. In 1570, Rudolph and Ernest were joined in Spain by two of their other brothers and their sister, Anna, and she was to become Philip II's fourth and final wife. And by all accounts, that was pretty happy marriage. Just FYI. Uh, So when Rudolph returned with his brother to Vienna in early 1571... Their father, Maximilian II, immediately noticed a significant change in their demeanors. Rudolph had only been uh, 12 when he left for the Spanish court, and Maximilian was troubled by the darkness of now 19-year-old Rudolph's mood and the depth of influence that the boy's time with Philip II had had on them. He sort of felt like he sent, you know, young men, bright boys away, and he got back really just dour, overly serious uh Adults, I'm reluctant to to pass judgment on historical figures when I really have no idea of uh, of all of their internal motivations. But part of me wants to say, Maximilian, honey, if you wanted to have a hand in their upbringing, <laughs> maybe you should have kept them at home. Yeah, but their mom really wanted him to go. Yeah, it's tricky. His disdain at his son's demeanors then caused all kinds of strife with his wife. So. He really wanted a liberal ideology that was designed to avoid religious conflict. And Maria felt strongly that an entirely Catholic state was really the ideal. And the more serious bearing that the young man had taken was in line with this. Yeah, she sort of felt like she got back exactly what she wanted, which was serious, very, um, um, you know, Catholicly educated young men. Whereas her husband was like, but they're not very fun anymore. (laughs) Uh, And Maximilian was a humanist Christian, but really, above all, he favored open-minded compromise among different religious ideologies. And his stance on religion, which was really quite liberal, had allowed this sort of pocket of peace in the ongoing struggle between Protestants and Catholics in the Holy Roman Empire. He was not so much about forcing dogma on anybody in any way. Yeah. Really unusual. Well, and while he did try to help his sons move into a less somber state of mind, the time in Spain really seemed to have just left a permanent gloom on them. 
And to make matters worse, uh, you know, Maximilian was advancing in age and he was at this time suffering from a, a number of different health issues. He had heart attacks. He had gout. He had kidney issues. And there are also rumors that he had syphilis at this time. And as his health got worse and worse, uh, he was trying to position Rudolph, who was the heir, into a position of authority before he died so he would know everything was cool. Uh, and he had Rudolph crowned as king of Hungary in 1572 and then king of Bohemia in 1575. So even though it was the Holy Roman Empire, there were all of these smaller states that you could have dominion over. While traveling to Regensburg in the summer of 1576, Maximilian got sick. And once he arrived at his destination, he rallied briefly, but then he got even sicker. It became apparent that he wasn't going to survive this illness, and he died on October 12th of that year. Maria, his wife, his sister Anna, and Rudolph were all at his bedside. And just a few weeks later, Rudolph was crowned as the Holy Roman Emperor. There was really no debate over whether or not he was going to take the throne. He was in his mid-twenties at this point. He was smart. He was fluent in multiple languages. And you might think that he would be kind of on top of the world after being crowned emperor. But this gloom that he had acquired in Spain just seemed to get worse once he ascended to the throne. And the kingdom at this time was marked by religious fighting between the Roman Catholics and Protestants. Uh, you know, with the death of Maximilian and this very liberal approach to religion and trying to get everybody to cooperate uh it it kind of reignited some some issues amongst the different factions and all of this fighting had a really disastrous effect on the empire uh rudolf upended his father's time of religious tolerance initially and he actually downgraded the role that the protestant estates could have in politics so a lot of this while it's quote religious ideology it was really had to do with power balance and uh you know political ownership of different aspects of the government Rudolph did eventually come around to his father's way of thinking and favoring a more tolerant and conciliatory approach to religion, but those early decisions really uh, caused some problems. In 1577, so just the next year after he had ascended to the throne, he had his first nervous breakdown. The stress of governing just had this intense negative effect on him, both mentally and physically. And in 1580, he became extremely ill and lost a lot of weight. He eventually got better, but his mood while ruling in Vienna was just always dour. So in 1583, Rudolph, who had become obviously weary of the pressures of the court of Vienna, both physically and mentally, as we had said, decided that he was going to move his residence and thus the seat of power for the Holy Roman Empire to Prague, which is part of Bohemia at this time. Uh, And he also became deeply interested at this point in astrology and magic and alchemy. Rudolphine Prague became this epicenter of art and science. Architects, scientists, and philosophers were all welcomed into the city. Famous Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe, who we have some stuff on in our archive, he had made the most accurate pre-telescope observations of the heavens, and he advanced our knowledge of the solar system significantly. He established an observatory in Prague. So did Johannes Kepler, who is recognized as the first person to correctly describe planetary motion. Brahe was named as the Imperial Mathematician, a post that was eventually assumed by Kepler, who had at one point been Brahe's assistant. And Rudolf also wanted to uh, redesign and expand the palace in Prague, as well as several other structures that were owned uh, by the government, all as part of his desire to patronize and reinvigorate the architectural arts in the area. Really, though, his greatest patronage of artists was in painting and sculpture. 
The imperial court welcomed artists from all over, and Rudolf was especially fond of foreign artists. He amassed this collection of thousands of paintings, including works by da Vinci, Correggio, and Bruegel the Elder. There is also a beautiful painting by Giuseppe Arcimboldo that listeners will probably recognize when they see it, uh, if they don't recognize the name of the painter, of Rudolph as Vertumnus, who was the god of seasons and plant growth in Roman mythology. And in this painting, which I just love, uh, Rudolph and his features are rendered as sort of a mosaic of fruits and vegetables, where they all come together to make his head and face. Uh, and we'll ho- hopefully link to that in the show notes at some point, because it's a gorgeous painting. During this time, Rudolph also developed what would become quite an impressive Kunstkammer, a cabinet of curiosities. He collected all these bronze statues and stonework, books, drawings, paintings, scientific items. It's also rumored that he purchased the Voynich manuscript at one point as part of this collection, although that's a little unclear. As with many things regarding the Voynich manuscript, yes. there's a lot of question marks and uh, circumstantial evidence without actual solid data on yes. it. Yes, we have an episode on that in our archive yes. if you have not heard it. And Rudolph is also rumored to have become somewhat obsessed with the occult and, as we mentioned before, alchemy during this time, which uh, you have to remember that this is a period when the concepts of science and magic had a certain fluidity between them. So to say he was a man of science and also was into the occult was not a particularly disparate concept. They were all sort of flowing together because they were learning about all of these things. Uh, and this is also the period during which Rudolf uh, is associated sort of with Rabbi Lev and his golem, which is covered in a previous episode uh, with Candace and Katie. So there was a lot of sort of, uh, you know, scientific exploration, as we said, and magical uh, investigation going on. Prague was just really a hotbed of new ideas and, you know, freedom to explore and encourage new ways of looking at the world. So all of this enthusiasm for art and science, it seems to be sort of an attempted antidote that Rudolph made to, to try to counteract the world outside, which to him was this ceaseless stream of stressors. The first two decades of his rule as emperor were troubled, to say the least. There was plague, the Turks invaded, Vienna suffered a huge earthquake, and he really struggled to meet the challenges of his leadership. The Long War, which Rudolph got into with the Turks in 1593, would drag on for years into the 1600s, hence the name. And it exhausted the people as well as Rudolph uh, when he was bothered to be engaged in public affairs and not hiding in solitude or having a depressive episode where he didn't want to talk about things or to anyone. I empathize. <laughs> Who does? I mean, we've all had that. But as a ruler of a nation and an empire, you can't really just go, I don't want to talk to anybody and hide, unfortunately. No. By the late 1590s, his mental state had gotten even more unsteady. His melancholic episodes got longer and more intense, and his moments of anxiety would lead him to this extreme agitation and paranoia. He became really convinced that somebody in his family was plotting to murder him. He also became fearful that people were attempting to exploit his generosity and steal from him, so much so that he insisted on keeping his gold under lock and key, and this got really crazy. It sounds not crazy. Of course you want to protect your wealth. But he did this to the point that he would sometimes not even release any money for the purchase of needed goods and foodstuffs for the castle. So there would literally be no food in the palace for anyone to eat. Uh, 
driven by this fear and anxiety, he even started to completely decline audiences with foreign ambassadors. He was really starting to withdraw from his duties uh, at a level that even though he had been sporadic before, it really got bad. Despite his immersion in Catholicism while he was studying in Spain, it looks like he was ultimately distrustful of the Catholic Church's power structure. He also started to refuse to see papal ambassadors. And he continued to see Protestant guests, though he really seemed not to have any particular affinity for their religion. In 1595, Rudolf's brother Ernest, who he had been close to and studied with in Spain, died. And that left uh, their brother Matthias as the heir to the throne. Rudolf had never married, uh, despite several attempts to betroth him to various houses of Europe. He had always resisted. And there have been rumors and, um, you know, some evidences built up by historians throughout the years that he was bisexual and had affairs with both men and women, though we will probably never know for, with certainty. And he also was not particularly fond of his brother, Matthias, which uh, is a seed of some problems that develop. <laughs> He's said to have had six children with a woman named Caterina Strada. One of them, Julius Caesar, was quite a terrifying character, and it will probably be the subject of a future episode. But generally, he seemed pretty disinterested in his children. Yeah, his illegitimate brood really had no appeal for him. He wasn't very involved in their lives at all. Uh, but as his moods continued to swing and he withdrew further and further away from court life, his chief minister, Wolfgang von Rumpf, uh, began to take over more and more of the emperor's duties. And Wolfgang is one of the men that uh, Rudolf has been suspected of being romantically involved with because the pair were so close. But Rudolf's paranoia eventually soured the relationship, whether it had been romantic or not. They had been very good friends and that fell away. Uh, in 1599, Rudolf actually forced von Rumpf to resign. And they made up briefly, but it was a very short-lived reunion. And there were actually a few of those where they would kind of uh, make peace with whatever was between them, but then it would fall apart again. And at that point, Rudolf was just so suspicious. I think there was no repairing it. Also in 1599, Rudolf fired many of the palace servants, and he retreated even further into isolation. An outbreak of plague hit Prague, and he fled to Pilsen, where he lived for a year. He had shortness of breath during the self-imposed exile. Uh, he was likely suffering from undiagnosed panic attacks. Uh, before we get to his return to Prague, let's take a moment and talk about our sponsor. That sounds grand. And now... Let's get back to talk about what happened after he got back to Prague. Yeah, so Rudolf returned to Prague in the summer of 1600, and briefly he seemed okay. People really kind of were pleasantly surprised that his demeanor seemed a little stable, normal. He was willing to engage with people a little bit. But that was extremely short-lived, because soon his mental state really veered south, and he was having these frightening fits of hallucinations. His paranoia deepened to a point even beyond what it had been at before. He believed that he had been bewitched, and he would tell people that he thought he had been poisoned sometimes, that someone had put a curse on him. He really just was not in a stable place mentally. In the midst of a series of suicide attempts, the government of the empire just came to a complete standstill. The emperor wouldn't speak with his council or delegate any of his duties. So uh, nothing could happen. Gridlock at that yeah, point. Yeah, completely. One person gridlock. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Uh, and he had all of the passages of the palace covered so that he could move around without anyone seeing him. And he spent basically all of his time alone. He would eat alone. 
he basically did not, not only did he not want to talk to anybody, he didn't want anybody to look at him. He was so fearful of all of these poisoning and bewitching suspicions that um, he even became terrified of the sacraments. So he wouldn't uh, have contact with any religious figures at all. After years of progressively more unstable and reclusive behavior and just terrible political decisions that were depleting the kingdom and causing revolts, In 1605, the Habsburg Archdukes pressured the emperor to just consider handing over power to a leader more suited to the position. That, of course, was his brother Matthias. In 1606, the Archdukes officially backed Matthias as successor to Rudolf, although it took several more years to get him to just acquiesce fully and give in to this plan. Yeah, once they had officially backed Matthias, he kind of started taking over uh, these leadership roles, even though technically he was not in a position to do so. Uh, but in June of 1608, and much like his uh, ascension into various positions as, you know, king of uh, Bohemia before he became Holy Roman Emperor, he ceded a little at a time. So he ceded Austria and Hungary in June of 1608 to his brother. And then uh, in May of 1611, Matthias was finally crowned king of Bohemia, although Rudolf did not officially cede until August of that year. And Rudolf II maintained his emperor's crown as emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, but it was really in a powerless figurehead thing. It was kind of like they were like, let the crazy man have the crown and think he's still the emperor. But really, his brother was doing all the work at that point. Matthias moved his brother to Hradschen Castle in Prague. And the basically deposed monarch lived on there with his menagerie of exotic animals. When several of his favorite creatures died, he developed a drinking problem, which really rapidly deteriorated his health. And Rudolf died very shortly, really, after he had been sent away to this castle. Uh, it was January 20th of 1612, and he was buried in the royal vault of St. Vitus's Cathedral in Prague Castle. His incredible art collection was just broken up and dispersed. There wasn't really much of it left in Prague. And during a relatively short 11-year reign, Matthias worked towards compromise between the Catholic and Protestant states, although it was during that time that the Thirty Years' War began, and so it was still going on when he died. But really, most people point to Rudolf as the cause of it, because he was so ineffectual towards the end of his reign, that he really wasn't addressing any of the problems that could have kept things from getting really agitated and out of control. So it started after his reign. But Correct. But he is usually um, cited as the people cause. People are happy to point the finger and say, like, you contributed significantly to this thing <laughs> happening. <laughs> FYI. So that is the story of Rudolf II, uh, who, once again, is yet another tragic royal character. Yes. Uh, Do you also have some preferably less tragic listener mail? I have such untragic listener mail. It's adorable. I'm so happy. Two different pieces, and they're both super cute. Uh, The first one is from Kim and says, I've been trying to think of a name for my new bird, who is an Indian ringneck parakeet. And during the Haunted Mansion podcast, you mentioned a guy with the coolest name ever, Exitensio. So I've decided I'm going to call my parrot Xavier, X for short, and Xy, I think that's what she means in terms of pronunciation, for not quite so short. It's appropriate, too, since the other Xavier I know of, Professor X, is a mutant, and my parrot is blue, which is caused by mutation. Uh, and she included photos of her parrot, as well as... As well as other animals. and doggies. They are really um, adorable. And uh, I mostly wanted to read this because I will out myself and my level of dorkitude. I have a cat named after Exitensio, and I have another cat named after Roly Crump. 
uh, they are litter mates. Yeah. I have a cat named after a form of poetry. Yeah. I used to have two, but now I only have one. Yeah. She's very cute and fluffy. She's very fluffy. Uh, <laughs> speaking of cats. And then we got this absolutely delightful and charming letter from another listener. Uh, it's written by Sharon, but it is on behalf of her daughter, Rose. And Sharon says, I listen to your podcast while cooking and doing housework. And my four-year-old daughter, Rose, has become quite a fan. She was amazed to hear that you are real live people and wanted to send you a letter. She writes this. So this is Rose's letter. Dear history ladies, you must be very kind ladies to tell us good history stories. My favorite one is the pirate one. My least favorite one is the Hope Diamond. Do you like cats? I like cats. Can you do some history stories about the ocean? Your friend, Rose. And then she sent us a really cool piece of art that is an ASCII uh, wing dinghy and crayon composition that is beautiful and we will take a picture of it and put it on Facebook. It is beautiful. Had we not already gotten this fantastic letter from a four-year-old, uh, the the other mail that we got in the same week was a sack full of anime and that would have won the prize yes. for the most awesome thing that came in the mail. But It was pretty the, good mail week. It's, yeah, it's, it's edged out, I think. Even though the sack full of anime is extremely cool, I'm very excited about it. We haven't we haven't watched it yet, and I'm I'm sorry I did not note the name of the person who sent us the anime before I came in here. But we'll do it. Uh, we will acknowledge that later after we get the chance to actually watch it. So Rose, I don't think it's any secret that we do like cats. We do. I like all the animals. I'm a crazy animal lady, and I'm sure we can find some history stories about the ocean at some point in the not too distant future. Shipwreck stories are popular with everybody, mm-hmm. so we always want to find some new and cool ones of. Uh, involving that. So thank you so much for writing us. And I love when uh, we can inspire pet names. That always makes it super fun. Uh, if you would like to write us, you can do so at historypodcastatdiscovery.com. You can also connect with us on facebook.com slash historyclassstuff, on Twitter at History, and on Tumblr at mistinhistory.tumblr.com. We're also on Pinterest, very busily pinning things away of historical significance or delight. And if you would like to learn a little bit more about what we talked about today, you can go to our website and type in the words Holy Roman Empire in the search bar. And one of the articles you'll get is the 10 most long-lived empires in history, of which the HRE is one. It is. So if you would like to learn about that or anything else your mind can think about, you can come and do that at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of downloadable digital audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Audible has more than 100,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash history to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today.